Our text today is going to come from the epistle of 1 Peter, just towards the back of your New Testament. We're going to be looking in chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. Uh, Let's hear the word of God. Therefore, Peter writes, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just Help me to be a minister of your word today, that you would make me a vessel to pour out your truth and to pour out your grace. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would equip me with whatever is required to to make this text living and active. But Father, that is the work of your spirit. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would fill this room, that it would take hold of our hearts and our minds. Father, that we would be here today ready to hear from you and ready to apply your word. Praise the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Peter's concern in our text is for us to live lives of holiness. In this passage, as we go through it, we are going to see that he provides three motivations from the gospel to exhort each believer in the pursuit of holiness. Basically, in this passage, Peter is exhorting us to gospel-driven holiness. But at the outset, I think we have to acknowledge that holiness is not a very popular or in some ways not a very familiar concept in the world that we live in today. Certainly in the world at large, holiness is not a chief value. We live in a world with the mantras to be the best you you can be, to YOLO, you only live once, right? There is not a a, a taste, a desire for external rules, for an external standard of righteousness, for someone else to tell you what is right versus what is wrong. There isn't much desire for a moral authority. In the world that we live in, there is a desire for moral autonomy, for permissiveness, for relativism. That is the world that we live in. So the concept of holiness has very little stock in the world that we are familiar with. But we also must admit that holiness is becoming a more and more unfamiliar concept even within the church. And I think partly that's because of our reaction to some who have abused the term holiness. We all probably, when we think of the term holiness, have someone come to mind that's a holy roller or a holier-than-thou type person. Someone who was really using the mantra of holiness to exert legalism, telling you that what it really means to be a Christian is not to drink or not to have long hair, not to have tattoos or whatever number of things. 
And so holiness has a kind of an icky feeling and I, uh, from that experience. And I think that that experience should cause a bit of an icky feeling because I think it's off the mark. But despite the unpopularity or the unfamiliarity that we might have with holiness, we must recognize that in the Bible, holiness is an absolute necessity for the Christian life. Consider what we are told in the epistle of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The kingdom of God is clear. For us to be members in it, for us to see the Lord, we must possess holiness. Thus, as Christians, holiness is a chief and essential value for our life. However, as we recognize that, we, we immediately come into a tension between the world that we are called to live for, the world of the kingdom of God, and the world that we actually live in, which values holiness not in the least. This tension between these two worlds is something that Peter, the author of our letter, is very much aware. And he is telling us that when we are a Christian, we are essentially being called to live in two worlds, to live as a citizen of heaven in the, a, in the present age. And that experience can be very challenging. Peter describes that experience as living in exile or living as a stranger or a foreigner in the present age. Perhaps you have experienced in your own life with your faith putting you at odds with the world around you, feeling the tension that gospel-driven holiness has made you kind of strange in the world that you live in, in your business place, in your school, or wherever. Exiles is not a term that anyone wants for themselves. Exiles don't have it easy. They don't have a place where they belong. They don't have a place where they fit. They don't have a place they can call home. And that's what the call of holiness does in a world that doesn't value holiness. It calls you to not fitting in. It calls you to not having a, a sense of belonging in this world. The call to holiness is a call to look different and to act in ways that seem strange to the present world. Holiness and personal comfort, then, are intention. And the question that I think many of us face in our Christian walk is, is the discomfort that comes from living out the gospel worthwhile? Is it worthwhile to face the discomfort and the ostracism? Is it worthwhile to face the scorn and the mockery of the world for standing for values that they don't treasure? That is what Peter is here to answer with an emphatic yes. Yes, it is worthwhile. Peter is going to show us three gospel gifts that drive us in the pursuit of holiness. That these three gospel gifts will make it worthwhile to pursue holiness at all costs. These three gifts are first, our sure hope in the gospel. Second, our new identity in the gospel. And three, our precious freedom in the gospel. And so as I think about who needs this message today... I, I have a few people in mind. Perhaps you're here today and you have been worn down by this tension. You are seeking to live a life of faithfulness, of godliness, of holiness. 
but you are worn down by the mockery, by the belittling, by the exclusion that you experience in the world for trying to stand for the values of the kingdom of God. And you are fighting for joy in your faith. If that describes you today, then I think this message will provide great encouragement because these three gospel gifts will restore your joy as you pursue holiness. But perhaps you are in a place of ambivalence. You've accepted the gospel, but you're not exactly clear about what's next. What am I supposed to do as a Christian? What does it mean to live out the gospel? And so the call to holiness may be something that you have never grasped or grappled with or taken seriously. If you are in that position today, then I hope you will pay attention to these three motivators for holiness because it will set forth the path that you are called in the gospel. But I also recognize that there may be people here who are living in a situation of moral compromise. Or you perhaps have adopted the values of the world. The gospel is not what you claim. You look at the world and the direction the world is going, and you see it going in the right direction. You see its values, the right values, and you look at the Bible and you think it is increasingly out of date and irrelevant. If that describes you today, I, I ask for your ears because I believe this message presents a strong challenge for you to reconsider that thinking. Let's now look at the first gospel gift that drives us to personal holiness. That first gospel gift that drives us to personal holiness is the sure hope of the gospel. And here we are looking at verse 13, which I'll read again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first word of this verse, therefore, must be properly understood for the rest of this message. Therefore is Peter's way of connecting what he has just told you to what he is just about to lay out. It is a, it is a connector. We must understand what came before in order to put what is, is following in the proper perspective. And that is, if we are going to understand our sanctification, we must understand that it flows out of our justification. I do not want anyone in this congregation to be confused that the pursuit of personal holiness is the ground of where we are saved. Peter points us to, in verse, verses 1, 3 through 12, that, the, that our salvation is rooted in our faith alone in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Verse 3 says explicitly, at the mercy of the Father, you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is because of our faith in Jesus Christ and his accomplished righteousness and his payment for our sins that we are saved. But Peter's word, therefore, cannot be given any space because in Peter's mind, what follows sanctification is necessary and inevitable of true justifying faith. The idea of sanctification, of growing in holiness, is like the relationship of fruit to a root. The root where our life comes from is our justification by faith in Jesus Christ. But the evidence of that life, of that saving faith, comes out of seeing the fruit that is born in our lives. And so if there is no fruit of holiness coming out of our lives, the question becomes, is the root truly in the gospel? 
And so as we look at this word, therefore, we must recognize that sanctification is a result of justification. It is not how we are saved. But if sanctification is not happening or not being valued in your life, it is something that should cause great concern as to whether or not you have truly grasped and put your faith in the gospel. So Peter says, if you have this gospel, this is what should follow. You should put your hope fully in the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, who is to come again. The idea of the gospel is, if you truly believe it, you have a new reality. The world that you see is through the lens of the gospel. It is through the heavenly reign of Jesus Christ. The real world is not the world of governments, of, of, of schools, of cliques and friends. The real world is the world that Christ is reigning over now and is coming at the last day to establish for good. That is the reality that the gospel brings us to. By his death and resurrection, we know that the Lord of this world is Jesus Christ. And so the lordship of our life is Jesus Christ. And that is how we look at the world, and that is how we pursue uh, uh, what we see in the world. We have to have this vision of, rea of reality. Otherwise, the world will be scary. The world will be tempting. The world will be enticing and present its values as the only real values. But it is when we have that reality of the kingdom of God, of Christ reigning now and coming again, that we can see the falsehood of the present reality. The best picture of this from, from the scriptures comes from the Old Testament where we meet Elisha in 2 Kings and he is surrounded by the armies of Syria who are ready to do them great harm. And his servant is with him and he is terrified. He is ready to capitulate. He is ready to raise the white flag to save his life. And Elisha prays that God would show him the reality of the situation, that he would open the eyes of his servant. And God graciously does and this servant is suddenly able to see that the hills are filled with the host of heaven. The armies of God, the flaming chariots of God, are surrounding Elisha and this servant. And they far outnumber and far outpower the Syrian army. That is the reality that changes the servant from being afraid and standing firmly in the kingdom of God. And that is the same reality that is revealed to us in the gospel. We have the victory. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. He has died and risen again so that there is no enemy and no power in this world that can overturn anyone who trusts in the gospel. And if you set your hope fully on that reality... The world looks different. You don't live according to the pressures of the present age. You live according to the values of the age that is to come. And so Peter says, what does that look like? It means having minds prepared for action, being self-controlled or sober-minded. The idea is that we are living soberly for the kingdom of God. The values of the kingdom of God are the values that we live out in today's world. We are living in preparation for the kingdom of God. An example of this might be, imagine, this might require a lot, but imagine that I were going to run a marathon in six months. Now, okay, maybe a year. Um, imagine that I decided I was going to run a marathon in a year. How do I need to be living right now to run that marathon in a year? 
I need to be living out the habits and the discipline of personal exercise, of running, of, of, of getting up early to make that marathon worthwhile. The same idea it lies behind Peter's exhortation here. You are citizens of the kingdom. You need to be living out the habits right now that belong in the kingdom. That is how you are to live as sober-minded people. So my question, are you today setting your mind on the hope of the gospel? Is the gospel forming your reality? Is the gospel bigger than what you fear in this world? Is your gospel more beautiful and more compelling than what entices and tempts you? Because it is in that that you will have a sobriety to live for the kingdom and not in worldliness. If so, live today in a manner that befits the kingdom. Now let's look at the second gospel gift that drives us to pursue holiness. And that is our new identity. We're looking at verses 14 through 16. The key word here I want you to recognize is Peter refers to us as obedient children, as obedient children. In the gospel, one of the sweetest gifts that we received is the gift of adoption. We go from being strangers, we go from being children of wrath to being adopted by the God of heaven who now sees us in the gospel as his sons and daughters and who now calls us to look up to him and not see him as a terrifying Lord, but to see him as a loving father. We are not just made children by a name change. We are made children by a change of our nature. God has sent every single one of us who has accepted the gospel his Holy Spirit, which has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, meaning that our nature is being transformed degree by degree by his holiness. Our new identity should transform the way that we look at the world. Our new identity should change our behavior. As children of God, we cannot live as if we are not children of God. A picture of how our identity affects the way we live is perhaps... Uh, illustrated by if you are on the highway and a car speeds past you 15, 20 miles an hour above the speed limit, what, what do you feel like you must do in that situation as a regular citizen? You have no compulsion to chase that person down and give them a citation, do you? You just are annoyed. But if you're in a police car, if you are a policeman on that road and that person blasts past you 20 miles above the speed limit, what does your identity tell you you must do? Your identity says, my job is to, is to, citate, or to cite that speeder. The identity of being a policeman changes the way you behave around that situation. Likewise, when your identity has changed, when you have become a child of God, the way you look at the world, the behavior that you find acceptable has changed with it. We have become children of God. By his spirit, we have God's DNA. And that means that we live in this world bearing a family resemblance. And what is the key thing that we will know when we see the Lord? He is holy. And so what is the thing that should become more and more evident as we walk with the Lord? Is a personal holiness. 
Now, if my dad were in the room, he is not, you would see a family resemblance. You would see similarities. You would see a very handsome man, basically. (laughs) An older man, but a handsome man. And you would know, if you saw my dad, that I am related, that I am his son, because I have a family resemblance. Well, when the gospel gives us new birth, makes us children, it also calls us to live in this world with a family resemblance, with the resemblance of holiness in the way that we live. So the question is begged, what is holiness? What does it mean to have a a resemblance of holiness? Well, Peter gives us uh, both a negative and a positive. The negative is that we should not be conformed to the evil desires of our ignorance. We should not be conformed to the desires that are presented in the vacuum of a world without God. That is, uh, we should not be driven by our selfishness. We should not be driven by uh, that, th- those, those, those sinful desires that uh, reign in us without the gospel. Instead, Peter says, you should be conforming to the moral will of God. You should be obedient children. And then he quotes from Leviticus to tell us that uh, you are to be holy because I am holy. The idea is that we should be conforming ourselves to the expressed moral will of God. Now, there are uh, two ways that you can go about this. You can uh, get every moral law of the Old Testament, memorize it, and obey it, and and there's value in that. But the other that we receive in the New Testament is God has given us his spirit. And he says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, if you allow the Holy Spirit to to, uh, compel you and you you lead you, and if you walk in his ways, the Holy Spirit will lead you in a life that is consistent with holiness. As as, uh, we... um, uh, Paul tells us in his epistle to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. God's nature in you, if you walk by the Holy Spirit, you will bear the fruit of holiness. And that is what Peter says should be happening if you are grounded in the gospel. But still, we need a picture. What does it really look like to be holy? What, is it, what does holiness look like in our average day? And so the following illustration, it's more of an anecdote. I don't know exactly know if it's true, but it could be true. It's reasonable. It's possible. But it is also, I think, something that illustrates how holiness can live itself out in very practical ways in our lives. And that is the story of a couple businessmen who were rushing to catch the last flight out before the weekend, to get home, to enjoy their family time, to hold their kids, you know, the good stuff of life. And they're rushing because they are late through this airport. And they come through the the common market area, and there is a woman there who is blind who sells apples out of a cart. And as they are rushing through, trying to get it through as fast as possible, their luggage catches the corner of that cart, the cart falls down, and all of the apples spill out everywhere and start covering the ground. But the businessmen don't have any time to stop if they're going to catch their plane and get home and see their kids for the weekend. So they have to accept that that's the cost of doing business, and they keep on rushing down to catch their flight. 
except one of them who recognizes the great calamity that their rushing has caused, stops and turns back and returns to that woman and begins to pick up all those apples, to gather them up, to restore the cart, to put it back together, and then he pays her for all of the apples that are broken and unsellable. Now, this woman is blind, so she can't know exactly who this person is, but it's reported that she says as she is next to this man, excuse me, are you Jesus? Now, why would she say that? Why, why would that thought cross her mind? It is because what he did was living by the values of the kingdom of God and not by the values of the world. He did not set his, himself above her. He loved her sacrificially. He sought to care for her. He sought to bear the fruit of kindness and gentleness to this person. And because she couldn't see who it was, it had the marks of Jesus. And that's really what it means to bear holiness as a son of God. You will become more and more like Jesus in this world. That should be what we strive for in the gospel, to become more and more like Jesus in this world, to be mistaken. Are you Jesus? Now, it's important to, to recognize that this event probably wasn't noticed by 500 people who walked by. That holiness was not seen. Jesus was not seen by most of the people in that airport. But to that one woman, it was. And to your heavenly Father, it was. And so this is what it looks like to live as obedient children, to choose the fruit of the Spirit over the pressures and the values of the world. Are you finding in your walk with Jesus that you are uh, in places where you are showing more and more the love and beauty of Jesus? Let us look at then at our third driver from the gospel to pursue holiness. We must be driven to pursue holiness out of the gospel because the gospel has secured for us a precious freedom. A precious freedom. And here we look at verses 17 through 20. When I talk about the word freedom, I am keying into the word, you were redeemed. In other translations, it's you were ransomed. You were redeemed, which is to say that you were in jail, you were imprisoned, you were constrained, and there was a hefty price upon your head to set you free. And that price had to be paid for you to be free. And so when we talk about our pursuit of holiness, we have to recognize that we pursue it because of the precious freedom that was purchased. Peter describes the greatness of our freedom. He says three things about it. First of all, our freedom is that we have been ransomed from a futile and meaningless life. We have been taken out of the, the, the life of this world which chases after things but are actually chasing after the wind. Everybody who does not have the gospel in their heart is racing to find a purpose. And those quiet moments where nobody's talking to them, when nothing's going on, there's an emptiness, and they are trying to stuff it full with something. And when you go to an unbeliever's funeral, you find that all the straws that we grasp at to say that life was worthwhile, that life had meaning. But if you go down the road 50 years, that person's forgotten. That is the reality of this world. 
outside of the gospel, the best you can hope for is diversion because it is meaningless if there is no God. And that is the first thing you are ransomed from, the futile and meaningless life that is the only thing the rest of the world knows. That's big. Second, you have been ransomed from a certain judgment. Peter says, if you call God Father, who is the impartial judge who will judge according to each one's deeds, that is to say that a holy God is there to judge any unholiness in this world. And if there is any unholiness in you, you face certain judgment. And I don't want to burst your bubble, but there's a lot of unholiness in you. There's a lot of unholiness in me. And so if you stand before God just on the life that you lived, even if you picked up every apple, you will be found wanting. You will fall short of the glory of God, and you will face a severe and irreversible judgment because there can be no fellowship between holiness and unholiness. And that leaves you out in the cold. So the second thing that we have been ransomed from is certain judgment. And the third, we have been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. Peter describes how precious this is in three different ways. He says, it is more precious than any earthly treasure. He said, it is more precious than gold and silver which perishes. Which is to say, you cannot save yourself by anything in this world. There is nothing that you can put up to God and say, this will pay for my sin. All of it will corrode and be worthless before a holy God. We have been instead ransomed by righteous blood of infinite value. Sinless, godly, holy blood was shed for our ransom. More than that... It was the blood of the beloved Son of God who was eternally foreknown with the Father, who was face to face with the Father. That one had to be sent to spill his blood to purchase you from this condemnation your sin deserves. The ransom that we have received to be set free from our sin is incalculable. I could spend the rest of my life trying to imagine the preciousness of that blood, and I will not come close. I think eternity is eternal because we will be fathoming the preciousness of Christ for that long, and we'll never come to the end of it. And he sacrificed himself for your ransom. Now, this great freedom is even greater when we understand, as we look at verse 20, that Christ died to ransom you specifically. Look at the very end of verse 20. It says, for the sake of you, he did this. Christ didn't just spill his blood indiscriminately. He just didn't spill his blood for anybody who wants it. He spilt his blood to save you who have trusted in the gospel. That is to say, when you see Christ in heaven, he will show you the marks of the nails. You will see the flesh that has been whipped on his back. You will see the scars from the, the crown of thorns. And that was born for your sake. He did that for you. He suffered death 
of the most horrid kind to ransom you. Knowing that you have been ransomed by Christ should make you warriors against any unrighteousness. The ransom of your forgiveness ought to make you a warrior against sin. Now, you might perhaps have in your mind, well, if my freedom means I have to do X, Y, and Z, it's not really freedom. And I want you to stop right there. That is the wrong thinking. Imagine if Jesus, who healed the paralytic, who said, rise and walk, who set him free from a body who couldn't work, were to say, I really would prefer laying down, thank you. What if Lazarus in that tomb, who God freed from death and said, Lazarus, come out, says, no, I really like it in here. How absurd, how bizarre of a retort is that? You have been purchased to be set free from the power of sin. Therefore, to seek sin is to be cheapening the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ should make us abhor sin, to war against sin, and to pursue righteousness single-mindedly. Anything less is a failure to fathom the precious blood of Christ. When you are tempted, then, I ask you, focus upon Christ crucified. Focus on the nails. Focus on the thorns. Knowing what Christ has done for you should inspire you to kill sin and live out the freedom he purchased you, which is to live for holiness. Is there any other option? So as we conclude, this passage has shown us that we must be driven to lives of holiness because of the great gifts of the gospel, namely our sure hope, our new identity, and our precious freedom. Do these gospel gifts motivate you to set your sights on holiness? Do they motivate you to war against sin? Do they motivate you to endure whatever discomfort and suffering and mockery that this world may put in front of you for the sake of celebrating the precious blood of Christ and championing its freedom? I want to leave you with a parable from the Gospel of Matthew. The parable of the talents. It's telling the, basically the story of Jesus leaving his disciples, but he's talking about a king who has left his servants and he's given his servants several talents, basically money, to invest while he is gone. And several of the servants take that money, they invest it and they multiply it, and when the king returns, they present what they have done, they show the work that they have done in his absence, and he is so pleased that they worked for his kingdom in his absence that they worked not for the world but for him. And he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So I say to anyone here who has been wearied with the task of holiness in a world that is so uh, unwelcoming to you, I say stay the course for those words. They will be heard by every person who commits to pursuing personal holiness in the gospel. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. But there was a servant, a slothful servant, who chose not to work for the kingdom in the absence of the king. And he took what the king gave him and he showed him that he had made nothing of it. He had squandered it and wasted it. He had buried it in the ground. And the words that Jesus spoke to that servant need to be heard by anyone here who is ambivalent about holiness. Anyone here who is choosing moral compromise without trembling. Anyone here who is not sure that the gospel really is for them. 
Because the end of that person was to be outside the kingdom. If we do not make our lives about personal holiness, if we do not ground our lives in the gospel, we will come to an age where we do not belong. And that is a fearsome truth. So I exhort anyone here who has ambivalence or apathy or uncertainty about the gospel, Christ has died. He has risen from the dead. He offers you eternal life. If you confess your sins and place your faith in him, Friends, set your sights upon Christ's glorious appearing. Live for the crown of righteousness. Live to show the world that the life of faith in Christ is more precious than gold or silver. Live the life of holiness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for such a rich gospel. I thank you for such a rich truth that though we are sinners, though we are rebellious, though we have been disobedient, Father, that your Son has come and he has ransomed us by his precious blood, which is more beautiful, more precious than we can fathom, that he has given us a sure hope, that he has filled us with the Holy Spirit. Father, the gospel is so good. Father, I pray that anyone in this room who has not received the gospel would hear of what the gospel gives, the treasure of it, the beauty of it, and Father would give themselves to it today, that they would not resist, they would not choose the life of ignorance and futility, but would say, yes, Jesus, forgive me for my sins, be the Lord of my life. And Father, I also pray for everyone here who has confessed the gospel, that they would be renewed, that they would be filled with the energy and the pulsion of your spirit to set themselves single-mindedly to pursue holiness, to forsake any worldliness in them, to live for the kingdom, to live for the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.